Welcome to the Property Voice Podcast, helping you to navigate safely through the world of property investing. Get the lowdown and updates, insights and outcomes on all matters property with a splash of entertainment along the way. The Property Voice, a voice to trust among the crowd. Now, let's get started with your host, Richard Brown. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Property Voice podcast. My name is Richard Brown and as always it's a pleasure to have you join me again on the show today. This week is all about securing discounted property deals and if we're going to be professional property investors then we need to know how to secure great deals at the right price. And it's not as easy as getting Phil Spencer to put in an offer under the asking price as we shall discuss. So, without further ado, let's get straight into the show this week. Okay, so let's get on with this week's featured topic with Property Chatter. Today's soundbite episode was inspired from an article on my curated property investment newsfeed service. Uh, there's links in the show, uh, which is on, uh, on a platform called Scoopip. So pay a visit to the um, show notes and you can find the links there. But in case you can't access them for any reason, then just tap scoop.it into your web browser. And then whilst you're in there within the platform, do a search for residential property investment. My page should be one of the top results, if not the top one, um, which you can find as I am a gold gold level contributor rather on that platform. As I mentioned, it's a curated news feed service, so that means people add their insights to news stories, so it's quite helpful. But the article outlines how asking prices are being discounted in certain parts of the country right now. It doesn't tell you much, really, if I'm honest. It suggests that between 20 and 43% of properties have had a price reduction of between 5 and 8% from their original listed asking price. Hmm, big deal, right? (laughs) Well, if I did read it correctly, it represents by how much some property asking prices have been reduced since their original listing, rather than by how much below asking price, whether that's the original one or the final one, offers are typically accepted at. But never mind. However, historically speaking, accepted offers tend to average around the 5% off asking uh, asking price mark. But it varies depending on the location and the stage in the property cycle, and of course, which asking price in the case of these price reductions that we're talking about now. However, the 5% below asking price is still a useful reference point nonetheless. So I guess if we add up the discount from the original listing price, that was mentioned in the article of say five to eight percent, as uh, as it was outlined, and then add to that the typical um, accepted offer price below listing price of five percent that I mentioned, the historical average, then it would appear that the total average discount from a, a property's in initial listing price is approximately ten to thirteen percent right now. So that might be quite a bit of a mouthful to understand, but if you just focus on ten percent. <laughs> Uh, below the original listing price, you're probably going to be there or thereabouts. But of course, it's not an exact mathematical equation or rule that we can always rely upon. It will vary across the country and the nature of the local market and indeed national market at the time. Still, it's a useful guide, I think, when looking at properties on the open market. And we should ideally be paying you know, no, not more 
than 10% below the property's original asking price from when it was first listed. After all, smart property investors should really be getting better deals than the average Joe or Jane. In a hot market, this would probably be too op- probably be too optimistic potentially, but it acts as a guide for now at least. Or in other words, we should be trying to secure property deals with at least a 10% discount from the original asking price. And that would be a reasonable assumption to start off with that will improve our overall portfolio performance when translated into return on investment and future capital growth potential. The article did, however, get me thinking. How can we actually secure the best price for our property investment purchases? Well, I came up with a, a top 10 list for you this week. One, of, uh, one or two of the results may be quite surprising though, so let's run, run through them right, right now. If you want a discount on a property, try one of the following ideas. Number one, adopt the approach of a professional investor. Yes, you've heard me say that once or twice, but I'm going to say it again. So ideally, offer cash and send proof of funds with the offer. That's the first thing. But if you can't do this and instead need to use either bridging finance or buy-to-let mortgage, then accompany your offer with an agreement in principle from the lender if you possibly can. In either scenario, list your solicitor details as well as it shows you are ready to proceed. And this helps to position you as a serious buyer that will move quickly and reliably to completion. It also makes the agent's job a little easier, so they will appreciate that. Remember that around a third of all property transactions fall through. So this helps to frame you in a positive light for agents and sellers when compared to people that don't have their finances in order or are part of a chain that could collapse. Then act quickly and professionally to do what you say you will do when you say you will you'll do it, to put yourself in the prime buying position. And this is especially useful if you plan to return to the same agent again to buy more property later on. And just one thought there that I'm going to add into the mix as I uh, I scripted this earlier and I just thought about as I'm reading through it here now with you, is that uh, remember what I said about a third of all property transactions falling through? Yeah, well, if you do offer on a property, then uh, track back, track back later on to see if that's happened. Because by definition, one in three might come back onto the market and that could position you well to have your offer accepted at a later stage. So have some sort of tracking system to go back and uh, uncheck on those is what I would suggest. However, number two, do your research on recent directly comparable sales values, not asking prices. Um, And what this means in practice is following the following sequence, adopting the following sequence rather. First of all, compare like with like. So so compare similar property types. Uh, In other words, don't compare a two-bed terrace house with a two-bed flat and such like. Don't compare compare semi-detached with detached. It sounds quite obvious, but it does make quite a difference. Look for recently sold properties, ideally within the last six months. The property, uh, the listings at uh, Land Registry can get quite out of date. So six months could also mean it's actually nine months ago when that was uh, sold. So we don't really want to go too much further than that. Sometimes we might not have a choice, as I'll kind of talk about in a second. But ideally, within the last three to six months is what you're looking for. Make sure the comparable sales prices, or comps for, for short, you find in a similar condition uh, are in a sorry are in a similar condition to the property you're actually buying so they should have the same level of finish and condition and with or without the same 
uh, or similar enhancements like extensions and conservatories and that sort of thing. So you're trying to compare like with like. There's no point comparing a top an A1 property uh, price value with you know something that's in a shabby condition or vice versa. So try and pitch like with like. Look close by. You should really be looking at properties initially on the same street and then within a quarter of a mile radius to get the best comps. Look at properties on a map rather than on a list and see if there's any natural barriers to achieving the same valuation, such as whether they're on the, wrong, the other side of the railway track or a river or, or something like that. It can make a lot of difference. Then something else you're going to have to do, and you're going to need a little bit of judgment here. You may need to adjust some of these prices if necessary. So, for example, older comps may need to be adjusted for recent price trends locally, be that upwards or downwards. And if you can't find similar property types or in a similar standard, then you're going to have to flex the comparable value to take account for this as well. And that might mean lifting or reducing accordingly, but do be conservative here. This can turn what starts out as what you might think is a relatively objective approach into a more of a subjective one, especially where there's a shortage of good comps available. So it will need a little bit of practice. But trust me, once you've done this about a dozen times, you, you will be fairly practiced. But as a top tip, if you want some help to validate your valuation based on comps, then pay for a home track or a mouse price desktop valuation to support your decision. These are not going to give you a perfect valuation. There is really such a thing anyway. But at just £20, they're, they're a useful second opinion to support your own research and analysis. Of course, only pay for such a service if you're serious about proceeding too. So do your own analysis and then potentially use such a service as the home track or the mouse price valuation to support you on the odd few you wish to proceed with, particularly where there are not so many good comps that uh, fit exactly your property type, age and condition. Uh, one point here I just wanted to add into the mix. We, we have a service called the Deal Tip Service. So a lot of this work can be done for you, by the way, if you uh, if you just check that out. It's on our realworldpropertytraining.com website, Deal Tip Service. But drop me an email if that's something you're interested in. Um, I didn't script that either, but just thought I'd throw it in there. Anyway, moving on. <laughs> the third uh, area that we can look at is to find and then fix problems. What sort of problems could give rise to a potential discount? Well, here's just a few. Slow sellers or slow selling property actually. Check if the property has been on the market for a long time. When compared to the average selling time locally, and you can see the average local selling times on home.co.uk. So just do a cross check against the property that you're looking at, uh, see when it was originally listed and see whether it uh, seems to be performing slowly when compared to the local marketplace. And of course, if, it's, uh, if it seems to be not shifting, then it implies that um, there's a, you know, something wrong with the property. Maybe the seller's becoming a little bit more motivated to the point. But watch out, as there are sometimes some tricks of the trade. Uh, so keep an eye out for this. Um, one, one such trick of the trade is, uh, is a new listing with an alternative agent. So that will start the clock again. So try and find out if it was previously listed. Uh, look for new agent listings because that can also be a cue in itself in itself that would offer up a discount opportunity. Similarly, in this area, structural issues can give rise to a discount. So look for reports of issues in the property listings. Terms such as structural movement, insurance claim, non-standard construction, and terms like that. But remember that fixing these problems also comes at a cost. 
and in some cases can also still result in a lower resale value or valuation when compared to the property next door. And that could affect our chances with, say, a mortgage or with a reseller for flipping. Next, look for some technical or legal issues, such as a short, unexpired lease term. Typically, 85 years or less should give rise to a discount. Unadopted roads could cause problems selling the property. Non-compliant conversion works. For example, you look for the term additional usable loft space instead of a converted loft room or loft conversion. That will give you a clue that it wasn't compliant and there wasn't a sign-off for that. Similar things can exist elsewhere. Once again, consider the cost of fixing the issue and how much of a difference it's likely to make to its resale value or its mortgage valuation. And of course, account for your developer margin or profit when you do so. Don't just give it away. You're going to need to get paid for your own time and your expertise, of course. Some other challenges um, that you might want to consider, and, and it might be putting off other buyers and could give rise to a discount for you, could include things like sitting tenants. Uh, no new build warranty for a, a property that's less than 10 years old. I bought a property like this a few years ago. And um, of course, when it's 12 years old, it doesn't matter anymore. Uh, excuse me. When there's, uh, say, no planning permission on certain works, maybe you can get that retrospectively approved and, and so on. Yet other challenges that could put some other people off are plain messy or what are termed smelly houses. <laughs> um, it could also be unattractive features like an electric pylon which is close by or it might be near to the local rubbish dump and that kind of thing. So, you know, some of these things can, can give rise to uh, a discount. Some of them can also be fixed to bring the valuation back up again. For example, the smelly house. But some might not be able to be fixed. And th then you're going to have to live with the issue yourself going forward. So take that into consideration as well. For example, the electric pylon. Not a lot you can do about that, I'm afraid. Number four, factor in the local market temperature, whether it's hot, cold or lukewarm. And there's a big difference between, say, Cambridge and County Durham right now. And this is reflective, actually, in the discount potential and indeed in the uh, article that I referenced earlier. Cambridge has been selling at above asking price, whilst in County Durham, there are big discounts to be had, as the article mentions. A cold market means longer average selling times and therefore better discount opportunity but it might also not be the best place to invest in as well. So, uh, you know, take, the, take that into consideration. If you're flipping, you're going to have it sat on the market for a while. If you're renting, what are the rental characteristics? They may be different to the selling characteristics. Often they are, but do check that out so that you don't get yourself lumbered with uh, a property that you can't rent out very quickly. But make sure that your pricing strategy reflects your investment strategy, as I've kind of been alluding to. So if you're buying to sell, then you would also be a seller in that same marketplace and could be potentially um, forced to accept a discounted offer price as well. And of course, if you're renting, if you're planning to hold for a couple of decades, then the, there's more emphasis on the rental market characteristics, as I mentioned, rather than the selling market characteristics. But you will probably need a bigger net yield or return on investment to offset a sluggish or perhaps not so important to you capital growth potential. Number five, justify any reduced offer as, uh, as far as possible. I used, to, <laughs> I used to really love to watch Kirsty and Phil on the TV, on their TV shows. 
but I often had a bit of a laugh when it came down to uh, putting in offers. It always seemed strange to me that this part was seen more of a game than a professional buying approach. Could they win the game and secure the property on behalf of their new best friends for the day? It led to a completely arbitrary, let's offer this and be prepared to take that type of approach based on nothing more than basic bidding strategy. Of course, you know, that is, is important. And, um, and, and, but in the, in the show, you can just look, it landed more, you know, more on the that than the this offer price, if you understand what I'm saying, uh, which if my memory serves me was uh, not that much below asking price in the first place. So not really sure how, how useful that was. Yes, bidding can help, but it's not the whole story. Property, uh, sorry, professional property investors don't operate this way. Well, not entirely this way, at least. Yes, there's an element of psychological game playing that often needs to take place. The seller often needs to snatch back something in order to feel as though they've won something. However, the professional investor will set out their arguments for a low offer, which will be supported by relevant information, such as by local sales values, costs of essential works, and so on. So they will also put their offer in writing as well. That's actually important for a couple of reasons. One, it can be looked at objectively and referred to later on. Two, it's more likely the agent's going to pass it on. And by the way, they don't always, especially with verbal offers. Uh, they may uh, then make an offer price, which uh, will be below what they think they would like to pay in order to allow the merry dance of turning into, in turning the, the bidding war that I've just been mentioning um, that, uh, that Phil or Kirsty might go through from uh, this into that as well. So, Build a little bit of fat in and, you know, allow for the game. Yet other property investors or professional property investors will also add in an extra, say, 10% off their discount figure just because. And I've heard it said before that if you're not embarrassed by your offer, then it isn't low enough. Some people advocate that type of approach. And that's certainly one strategy and technique that you could adopt. But be prepared for a few more no's if you're going down this line. Because, you know, by definition, you're going well below the asking price and you're probably going to get rejected a few times. Number six, get your own survey done, even if you're paying cash. Then use any negative results to renegotiate the price later on. Now, hold on a second. I'm not advocating an unethical approach of gazundering at the last minute with a vulnerable seller. I don't agree with that. But what I am proposing is enlisting a professional to identify any issues with the property along with an estimated cost of putting them right and then using this to renegotiate the price if we had not already taken it into account in our original bid. And this will allow us a second bite of the cherry. But at a time when the seller is more committed to us and to this transaction and so they're more receptive more likely to receive a discount at that point in time, even if they don't like what they're hearing, which they certainly won't. However, it won't always work and can sometimes bring out the caveman or the chimp in the seller, who might feel as though they've been hoodwinked and strung, strung along, only to be set up for a, for a price chipping exercise later on. So be prepared for that. You may lose a purchase or two at this stage if you try to chip too far and for a now uh, justifiable or, or previously known, uh, known issue. Uh, so in other words, you know, don't do this if, you know, it was always the case that, you know, it was single glazed or something like that. Just do it on something that came to light re uh, um, after you got the survey. But use it strategically to avoid incurring costs in an abortive transaction as well, because some sales might fall through at this stage and you would have paid for some fees along the way.
Number seven, look at the value and don't be too obsessed with the price. I like this one, as it could mean no discount or even paying a premium for a property in some situations, but that could be okay as well. Consider what a property is worth to you as an investor and base your offer around this. This might mean a big discount, low or no discount, or sometimes paying the listing price or even above. As unlikely as it sounds, property could actually be listed below market value in the first place. I mean, some, some examples of when this could happen could be when uh, someone is pricing to sell. They need to move on quickly, so they're pricing perhaps below the local market average. Or if the owner, usually it's the owner, because if they're doing a DIY listing, they might get it wrong. Sometimes an agent might also make a mistake in their value appraisal as well. So look out for that. It does sometimes happen. So in that situation, you might not need to actually get a big discount off the listing price. You may just need to snatch their hands off to bag, bag yourself a bargain. Equally, it could be what you, or it actually certainly is, what you plan to do with the property that determines its value to you as a professional investor. For example, if you plan to convert a property into an HMO and you know that you are likely to obtain a commercial or investment valuation on that property after you've completed the work, an investment value on an HMO is often calculated at something like six to ten times the gross annual rent on the property, depending on the location and, crucially, the extent of the conversion away from being a regular single home or property. This might not bear any resemblance to the sale value achieved for the next door property, which would be known as a bricks and mortar valuation instead. So look at both the investment value and the bricks and mortar value when determining your offer price for what you might turn into an HMO. This does not mean you have to pass on all of the value creation that you'll be generating to the seller, but it does mean, uh, what it does mean rather, is that you might be able to pay a little bit more for that uh, property than say the average buyer would locally for that very same property, as it would simply be worth more to you. The opposite may also apply though, so watch out for that. But I have seen people struggling with this idea, must get a discount, must get a discount, must get a discount. And actually, it's, you should really have a focus on value. And actually, if, you get, if you're getting yourself a property at a reasonable value, then happy days, move on. Don't waste so much time at the front end. Number eight, offer terms rather than price increases or price, price reductions. Sometimes a seller is motivated by more than the sales price. Examples of this might be a fast exchange and completion at, say, 28 days, within 28 days. Cash buyers means less time, less hassle, and less third-party interference with the deal. So that's, that is appealing to sellers and also to agents. And don't forget the role an agent can play here. They can position you well. They've got their preferences as who they'd rather deal with and how much their life would be made easy or difficult with the particular buyer. So you know, make it as easy as possible for the agent is another tip. No chain can mean greater assurance that the sale will actually proceed. Remember what I said earlier about a third of all transactions falling through. Paying a non-refundable deposit unless the seller withdraws also means you're committed and have genuine skin in the game, as they call it, in case you were to pull out. So maybe consider that in certain situations, offering a non uh, to pay a non-refundable deposit. Some people might need a bit of relocation support in case they are selling, say, for financial challenges. For some sellers, the, uh, the offer to use search insurance in lieu of actual legal searches, property searches, can also help. 
especially if you both know what the search is likely to flag up and have priced it into your offer price anyway. So it works best if you happen to know the local area. For example, it's on, you know, former coal mining area. So obviously the coal mining search is going to tell you that, but you don't need it because you know about it already. Or if you are proficient at identifying problems in a property, such as structural issues or non-compliant conversions and that kind of thing. So, you know, don't just just say, oh, I'll just go for search insurance if you're not really an expert and don't know the area. It's, it's probably a word of caution there. Moving on, number nine. Try to meet the vendor if you can. The purpose of this really is to aim to build rapport and look for both motivation and also leverage. Motivation is something you can give, you know, something as a need you can satisfy on, be on behalf of the seller. Leverage is something you can use to lever, as the word suggests, uh, to lean on later on. But also try and look for the win-win. And you're more likely to have your offer accepted if it's framed in such a way that meets the seller's motivations and, and needs, uh, and needs rather, but also leaves them feeling good about themselves. So look for the win-win. You don't have to always win this battle and make the other person feel bad. You know, the, the odd few percent is not going to make the greatest difference in the world, trust me. Number 10, and I quite like this one as well. Go fishing in different waters. It's uh, not all properties are sold on right move, you know. <laughs> Funny that, isn't it? A lot of them are, but not all of them are. So, for example, auctions are usually for, you know, designed for problem properties. In fact, you should know that if you're buying an auction, find the problem. But sometimes you can find a very decent average property without a problem listed at auction. Of course, many developers and property investors are not really interested in these because there's nothing to fix, there's nothing to do. So uh, bid away and bag yourself a bargain on a bog standard ready to rent or ready to sell property that needs little or no work doing on it. DIY sales agents, low cost listing only services and classified ads are another place to go looking as everyone else is fishing on right move as I mentioned. Some agents can only work with two of the three major portals now. So, so that's two out of right move, Zoopla and on the market. And in particular, if a property is listed with on the market, then it will be on either right move or Zoopla as well, but not both. Equally, there are quite a few DIY property listing sites now. And, uh, and don't forget Gumtree for direct-to-vendor advertising for property sellers as well. And this means, uh, what this means rather, is less competition. And less competition reduces the chances of a bidding war developing and improves the odds of a discounted offer being accepted in the process. So go fishing in different waters. Yes, they're niches, they're smaller ponds, but you can find good deals. But that's it, really. I, I just wanted to go through my top 10 suggestions of, of how we can ensure we get uh, and secure a great and often discounted property deal. It's not all about discount, as some of the suggestions have identified, but often the case when you're looking for discount, you know, some of these uh, rules, guidelines or tips can, can help you out. But don't overlook the fact that this list of 10 ideas are just some of the approaches that can be adopted to help uh, achieve discounted property purchases. They don't always work, and they can also be used on us by savvy buyers from time to time as well. In fact, I had this recently with a flip project where an investor gave me a list of works they wanted to undertake to help justify a lower offer price they were making. But in that particular case, the work they were suggesting was completely optional 
was personal to them and therefore it was not necessary. So I was able to knock it out of them, if you like, knock it out of their bid and bring their offer price back up again because I was able to say, look, it's not necessary, it's not crucial, therefore I'm not accepting a lower price for that reason, so we're taking that off the table. So let's, let's talk more realistically. Equally, don't forget that we are descendants of cavemen and cavewomen. And that sometimes means that uh, we can all be prone to the odd bit of a, a fight or flight response at times as well. And that's why it's a good idea to try and take your time before responding to situations, uh, to do some objective research and consider the other person's caveman or chimp-like response uh, being quite possible as well. The bottom line though is, is that as professional property investors, we can adopt more professional techniques into our daily activities and that helps to set us apart from the amateurs and the regular home buyers and that will lead to better investment results in the long time too. Okay, so that's me for this week. I hope it's been helpful to you. But if you have some great techniques that you use to help achieve better property purchasing results, I'd love to hear them too. Remember that you can email me for um, any reason uh, today with, uh, to do with today's show or anything to do with property, podcast at thepropertyvoice.net. And of course, the show notes will be over at the website, thepropertyvoice.net as well. But for now, all I want to say is thank you very much for listening once again this week. Until next time on the Property Voice podcast, it's ciao, ciao. Thank you for listening today. Now head over to thepropertyvoice.net for more inspirational content and get updates through our mailing list. Join us next time on the Property Voice podcast. And if you enjoyed the show, please don't forget to rate us on iTunes.